0: Hi, welcome back to another episode of Chris Dyer's Creative Friends, the super awesome podcast show where me, your artist friend Chris Dyer, interviews all his beautiful artistic friends. Today, I am in Boulder, Colorado. I'm visiting my friends, Randall Roberts and Morgan Mandala. And Crystal Smith happened to be in town, so I did a lovely interview with her. Crystal is an OG visionary painter and a life painter who's been doing it for a long time. One of the original uh, people who's been uh, putting sacred geometry in their art and bringing forth that magic. So I hope you will enjoy our conversation. Blessings!
1: Blessings! Between women and a man, Chris Dyer and his creative friends, darling. Ooh 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 ooh
0: Hey, Crystal, how are you doing? Great, how are you? Woo, amazing. So we are today at the house of uh, Morgan Mandela and Randall Roberts in Bolden, Colorado. What are you doing in town?
1: Well, I'm here to see my friends, but um, specifically, we had a big opening of an art show at Threda Gallery mm-hmm. this past weekend, and we were exhibiting a bunch of collaborative paintings with myself, Morgan, Randall, and Sweet Melissa.
0: OK, yeah. nice. How did it go?
1: It was amazing. Nice. Yeah, it was. Um, it's almost even hard to put words to it because there was just so much uh, love and intention and energy that went into creating the show, and the show itself was just filled with exceptional friends and artists and people from the community, and it was so cool to see all of our paintings um, all in one place because there are these eight-foot massive murals that we've painted and. Yeah, it was amazing to see them all filling a uh, gallery space.
0: That's the first time you guys had like a, like a group show of that particular dial-in project, right?
1: It was technically our second show. We did a smaller show oh, right. um, about two years ago. Uh-huh. And um, so this was this was our first like big gallery show. Yeah,
0: so. sick. Well, congrats. I'm Thank happy so to see some paintings moved. Uh, where, where where you usually live? Uh... I
1: live in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Um, Boulder's always been another home to me. I lived here for over ten years, mm-hmm. off and on. But my roots and family are in Milwaukee, so been back there.
0: Nice. Just how how is family. Milwaukee?
1: Milwaukee is cool. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a hidden gem. Um, you know, it's right on Lake Michigan. So anywhere I go north and south for hours, I'm still on the lake, and it's kind of like a little. Call it the saltless ocean, you know, mm-hmm. big waves and yeah, beautiful nature north and south of Milwaukee. So it's a cool city where you have that access to water, um, a lot of great art and music, but it's a small city, so it's easy to navigate and it's not super overpopulated. and Nice. Yeah, so I have a lot of love for, a lot of love for my home.
0: Yeah. Oh, cool. And yeah. like... Is there like an art scene also there? Like, how is it, how is that?
1: Not like the art scene out here. Wow, there's no. <laughs> nothing like the
0: Colorado there's super a, cool scene. Yeah, but.
1: there's a lot of art. Visionary art is um, the thing that I'm really missing while I'm there, the visionary art community. Mm-hmm. But there is a lot of art in general in the Milwaukee area and great museum, a beautiful art museum. Um, the Calatrava, is um, its name, it was designed by an incredible architect. Mm-hmm. And he also designed the Sydney Opera House. And okay. it's like a kinetic sculpture, the building itself uh, kind of opens and closes like wings depending on the weather wow. and what they want it like what position they want to have it in. So it's, okay. cool. it's beautiful. Yeah.
0: Nice. That's so cool. Yeah. Nice. It's cool to
1: see that art being brought into the architectural aspect of this, yeah, of right. the museum. So.
0: Awesome architecture for sure makes yeah. the city more interesting and yeah. beautiful.
1: Yeah. It's definitely a gem of our city, so.
0: Nice. Uh, and you were telling me your family's from there?
1: Yeah, I grew up um, outside of Milwaukee, mm-hmm. so a lot of my family's still there, and I've spent a uh, family spread out around the country too. So,
0: and they're all artists. You're from an artist family,
1: right? I'm from an artist family. Lots of ladies in your yeah, grouping. Both my grandmas were artists um, in their own way. They both painted. Both uh, grandmas. Yeah, both grandmas. Damn. And my father is an architect mm-hmm. and my mom is more in the interior design and decorating side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and she owns, a, she owns a linen shop. And so anyway, she, she's creative in her own way too. Um, but yeah, my family always encouraged art and creativity from the time I was really little. So it's definitely coursing through my veins. Uh-huh, yeah. big
0: inspiration. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Well, that's so lucky to, to have that. So... This is the dangerous question. Uh. <laughs> Crystal, do you remember when we met? When and where? I'd
1: well, like to I ask thought, that to all I my guests. I thought I did, but um, what did you I was think thinking it was? root wire. Uh-huh. And then I realized that that may not be accurate. And then I realized what I think it really is. What is it? Alchemize. Right, you yeah. got it right. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah,
1: I mixed up the timelines a little bit. Right, because yeah. Alchemize came
0: before the root yeah. wires. Yeah. And um, I remember learning about you and your art when the yeah. gallery Temple of Visions from LA started popping. Yeah. And that specific uh, visionary art gallery kind of like became this cool new thing. And it had its own brand-new grouping of artists. Not that the artists were brand-new, but, like, before that, you know, it was the usual suspects of, like, Harry Tonson and Luke Brown and Ronald Villagrana, Venosa, mm-hmm. Alex Gray. And then with the Temple of Visions, it's, like, all these brand-new, very talented visionary artists came through. You and Amanda and Autumn Sky and Raul Casillas and, you know, how... Tell me a little bit about that period, if you remember.
1: Well, it was a really special time. I actually, um, I had traveled to California, and I was traveling around. I, the Temple of Visions was opening um, in the historic district of downtown LA. Um, our friend Jimmy Blyer was opening in Tem- Temple of Visions, and Amanda lives on the top floor of that building and had lived there for years and I had been spending some time at the gallery, well, it turned out that a, roo- a room opened across the way, so I ended up temporarily moving to above the Temple of Vision. Also and in that same building? Yeah, in the same building. Uh-huh. What it an was, artsy uh, building yeah. it was, and It huh? was so cool and it was just like a an amazing little artist community uh-huh. in the midst of downtown Los Angeles. uh uh-huh. um, This and is like and what,
0: 2009?
1: Yeah, I think, so. I think it was around that 2009, 2010, um, uh-huh. and so I was a part of a handful of shows there, mm-hmm. which were just each exceptionally amazing, and just brought together artists from around the world that I had admired and loved, and um, some were friends, some became great friends, so it really became this nexus of bringing the, the art community together in a... In a really vibrant way, and giving this beautiful spotlight on visionary art in Los Angeles. So that was a really special time, and right. I feel like uh, a lot of a lot of growth and connection came out of those shows with the artists. That was the first time I met. Uh, no, that's not true. I wanted to say it, but yeah. I met I met a handful of artists that I right. am still very close with.
0: Being me. that it was LA, it was like a big deal. Like downtown LA, visionary art. Everybody's like, "Whoa, what the hell's going on here?" Like. Visionary art was still trying to come into its own and find an audience, but uh, that was, that was a, a, a nice punch into that scene. And then Alchemize, the two yeah, Alchemize okay. happened, and I barely made it in. Um, I barely
1: made it too. <laughs> well I think
0: you, you I think you might have renegated the first one.
1: It wasn't renegated. No? No, it was a very last minute Okay a edition. Very last minute edition. Uh-huh. And I um had gotten I was in contact with Rio and he's like, make it happen. Uh-huh. And I basically bought a plane flight and And flew there like the next day, like it it was an almost overnight thing.
0: This is the Big Island of Hawaii. Uh
1: huh.
0: Mm -hmm. I remember seeing you and be like, oh shit, Crystal Smith is also here. And I think that first night that area arrived, everybody did mushrooms. I was like, I'm not gonna do mushrooms. (laughs) Like I'm still just like climatizing. But yeah, you crazy visionaries, right? (laughs) You rock and step into another dimension already. And then the second year, I remember when they moved us to the Hilton Hotel. Mm-hmm. Then that was like that was a whole <laughs> that's a whole different ordeal. That was a that was a good yeah, show. Yeah, I too. wonder
1: what all those um, the cost- or people that were staying there that weren't part of the festival thought of right. that
0: event. The normal attendees <laughs> yeah. of the Hilton Hotel in the Big Island Hawaii was like. What's up with all these hippies tripping yeah. out all oh. over the swimming pool? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, we definitely descended upon that right. Upon that hotel with a lot of color and a lot of magic. and
0: mm-hmm. yeah. So the alchemists were 2010, 2011, and then Root Wire kind of became no, right. the next festival for, like, visionary art to be featured. Because before that, art was just kind of like, oh, there's people painting on the side. But, you know, with those two festivals, like, hey, art's as important as music, let's you know, bring a shitload of visionary artists and really like uh, accentuate them and really highlight the work that they're doing. How do you remember the root wires? Those first oh two gosh, ones at least. they're
1: so special. I mean, just like we were talking about with the Temple of Visions, that first root wire, seeing like at least, I think there was 50 painters, I mean, I don't know the exact number, a but shitload. all up on risers <laughs> and really integrated where they were it was as much a part of the music as or as a part of the event as the music and mm-hmm. it really gave a spotlight to the importance and power of art and so that was amazing um I've been live painting for I don't know at least let's see first year was 2011 so I've been live painting for like six years prior to that so I've you know, on the side of the stages. right? It was just uh, amazing to see this, this that we were a part
0: of. Man, some people yeah. with their <laughs> noisy cars. <laughs> like,
1: show it off on the Right,
0: <laughs> Still <in> your spotlight. <laughs> so how has it been, in general, being a life painter at festivals? You're an OG. So you were painting six years before 2011, so you're painting since what, 2005? Yeah. What was your first uh, festival you remember live painting at?
1: First festival I live painted at was Sonic Bloom okay. in 2008.
0: In this area. Um,
1: and yeah, came mm-hmm. out to Colorado for that, and that was super magical. I, prior to that, had never seen anyone else live painting before. It was just something I was doing in Milwaukee, and when I came out to Sonic Bloom, I met a beautiful handful of other live artists that were on a similar creative path and so we just instantly just instantly vibed and had um, both like well you're doing this too like you're as crazy as I am -hmm. Um, and so yeah it was amazing to come out and and connect with the Colorado community at that point and that actually was my my impetus to moving to Colorado
0: Mm -hmm, I was like
1: yeah this is this is where it's at and a lot was happening with the art that I didn't feel when I was living in Milwaukee at the time and so I, yeah, went back to, went back home packed up my car packed up my paintings and I moved back to Colorado not knowing where I was going to move, what I was going to do I just knew I needed to be here So, mm-hmm. but yeah, so much was come came out of, I love that you brought up all three of those places um, because they all had such an intrinsic part of this this blossoming of the visionary art movement, right? You know, and it, it really
0: changed my uh, career tra- trajectory at least. So yeah. I'm sure yours yeah. too. Yeah. But I have to say, like, um, I wouldn't say I resisted being a life painter, but it took me a while to warm up to even the idea. I was painting before in my studio, and then um, you know, the tri for team people are telling you like, Chris, you got to start like life painting at events, and I'm like, I don't want to paint in front of. People. like what, they're going to be looking at me while I'm doing my very personal soul expression I don't know if I can do this Uh, you know, I could see Amanda Sage was like doing really well with it and you guys were all coming up Um, did you ever have struggles jumping in front of people doing this very intimate thing like painting your heart
1: oh, absolutely (laughs) Um, I mean, I think it's always a challenge it's a very vulnerable part of the self to show is this like raw creative process it's not polished you know you have all different kinds of uh, elements that are mostly out of your control including weather just the overall energy of the event Um, so there was there was a lot of things you know I didn't ever seek out becoming a live painter really I feel like it's something that kind of came to me through opportunities and and I never was one that really wanted to be in the spotlight. It makes, you know, I get camera shy and it makes me feel a little nervous and awkward, but um, I realized that when I'd get, when I was, when I was creating in that way, I would see the immediate impact that it had on everyone around me and the whole space, and I really, I really started to see, like, after some of my first live paintings and the conversations that I was having with people, at the events just like they're like I want to paint that's so cool mm-hmm. you know how, you know um, it just inspired people to reflect on the creative process both what was happening in front of them and then their own creative process right and so really the big sort of driving force behind my desire to continue on that path was really just seeing how impactful it was mm-hmm. um, to inspire people yeah, and, nice. and also thinking about you know like, I almost think it's ironic there's, you know, you've heard the phrase painting is dead or and then we have this thing called live painting, <laughs> you're, you know, and you're it's reviving just it. reviving, bringing this like a, a sort of recognition to the importance of of art and creativity and inspiration. Um, of course, none of those things are ever really like gone, but I feel like live painting is is a beautiful pathway to helping other people just connect with their own creative process. So. Right. I wonder and if there was
0: like life painting back in like olden days, like medieval times.
1: I'm. Which, sh- know, I mean, I'm sure in some way. I feel like it's this like very to be an artist artisan in a community. Uh-huh. You know, we do it in this more performance way with concerts and events. But I think that you know the artist has always had some role in. In community and in society, right? uh, For so long, though, I think it was kept more away in the studio, and so I don't know. In the past, I I I never
0: thought about it till till actually right now, because he's like, "Oh yeah, we're like, you know, doing life painting." It's like sure, there was some people in the '60s painting around in a park, and people could look, but I wonder if, like, saying like medieval times in a castle. You know well you got the court jester the pa- and on the, and the, the side we well got a painter just kind of <laughs> like painting away at the king who's just kind of like chilling there yeah That's what's
1: actually I, you know doing the portrait while people watch
0: yeah. right but it's beautiful to have people see the process of creation because when a kid or somebody goes to a festival or a gallery and they see a finished Painting of yours—it's so polished and clean and, and crystallized, no pun intended—that uh, they're all like, "Oh my God, this is some like overwhelming, unachievable goal that I could never do." But when they see you doing it and they see that, hey, it, it doesn't look that nice <laughs> most of the time till it actually gets finished, um, you know, and that's actually very refreshing and calming and uh, a gift to your audience yeah. to show. That Makes it
1: accessible, right? Yeah.
0: Mhm. Well, good, good job doing that. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, tell me about your art, the uh, subject matters, the themes. I know you do a lot of uh, sacred geometry, which these days, when people think of visionary art, it almost seems kind of like, you know, like a no brainer that sacred geometry and visionary art go hand in hand, hand in hand, but. I myself never really saw somebody focus on sacred geometry as much as you be- before I saw your art, you know, like I-, 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 I can't really say, like, you invented sacred geometry, the combination <laughs> no of that and-, and visionary <laughs> art, but you're the one who really embodied that the most strong, or the first one that I perceived and, um, you know, and now a lot of people do it, so tell me a little about that and your relationship with it and how you've seen develop it in the sure. visionary scene?
1: Well, I have two things so, uh, that I can touch on um, to directly answer the last part of your question: mm-hmm. the, the integration of sacred geometry and live painting. That's sort of the, that's the second reason why when I was started live painting and I was discovering uh, sacred geometry at that time uh, through I had some powerful experiences. Right around the same time I started live painting, um, where these codes of sacred geometry were coming through me and into my art. And I was very inspired and actually just kind of like blown away by the power of it and um, the meaning embedded in it. And so I was really passionate to want to bring that like insight or that inspiration to the public eye and bring awareness to it. So I was painting the flower of life, flower of life at every um, you know in all of my paintings mm-hmm. for many many years and a huge part of that was wanting to share these the seed of inspiration of what sacred geometry is mm-hmm. and To speak to that for the people that don't know what sacred geometry is um, Or have only kind of dappled in it. It's basically looking at the patterns of the fundamental patterns of nature mm-hmm. and and when you start to get into those basic patterns, the building blocks really of life and matter, you see that everything, you see this beautiful way that everything is connected. Mm-hmm. So you're seeing this like language of God. Of, yeah, of creation. Perfection. And, you know, we live in a world that is so divided and torn apart and you know, there's so much separation that I felt like sacred geometry is a beautiful access point for people to start to understand the way that we are really connected, you know. Mm-hmm. Beyond just the fluffy like oh, we're all one. Yeah. Which I believe and is, you know, is powerful, but it's also really powerful when you can start to look into those patterns themselves and see how everything is coming out of the same blueprint essentially.
0: Right. Patterns <laughs> yeah. of creation and visual spiritual manifestation mm-hmm. that we see in nature and I guess mathematics, because when I think of sacred geometry, and that's why I was like, Ooh, I don't know if I can get into sacred geometry, because <laughs> I'm a donkey at maths. Are you good at mathematics? Is that like something that, uh, that I called you, or like, you know? I wouldn't
1: say that I'm good at math. I used to be. I was, I was really good at math when I was in school, like, you know, I took through calculus in high school, mm-hmm. um, so I had the capability to remember formulas and do mathematical things um my brain could just work that way i don't retain a lot of that side of the math education but what i will say is sacred geometry while well, it does have it, it can have a lot of math involved in it but it also does doesn't require a really strong background in math to be able to draw understand mm. or work with sacred geometry right really you just need a compass uh a ruler and a piece of paper.
0: Yeah, or a golden the, those uh, golden mean rulers. Uh, the caliper, uh-huh. yeah,
1: golden golden ratio caliper.
0: Do you use that much?
1: Uh, not really, but it's all built into. I I work with those uh, proportions within the geometry, so you I'm just creating. understand that yeah. it
0: have the eye to yeah. add it naturally. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's beautiful. Uh, yeah, I guess like sacred geometry is kind of like the most artistic or visual of the mathematics, mm-hmm. you know? Is it difficult to explain? I know you've given speeches, and I think you teach workshops about mm-hmm. it. Is it difficult to explain?
1: You know, it, it is, in a way, because when I'm teaching, I don't know what people's background is, so I could be speaking to a room of people that some people have a lot of experience with sacred geometry, and some people are starting with really not having a... A fundamental background of its meaning and so I and those those steps of like the building blocks of sacred geometry which are also connected to the building blocks of life like you kind of have to go through the the whole process to give the full picture of what the the potential and like um, the different iterations of sacred geometry and what they mean mm-hmm. and how they all fit together so I'm working to find the best way to communicate communicate that. It's also like vast, like spiritual concepts mixed with science, mixed with math, mixed with art. I mean, sacred, that's why sacred geometry is so amazing, because mm-hmm. it actually is applicable to just about everything. Right. And so the more that there's an awareness of it, I think that it, it opens up a lot of deeper understanding and like how to create better solutions for, I don't know, problems that we face in the world, how to build cooler, stronger things, Mm -hmm. and and, um, how to really look and study nature and understand the world, so.
0: Super nice, I learned, about sacred geometry and got a gist about what it's all about from the drumvalo Milchisidic books the secret of the flower of life the mm-hmm. ancient secret ancient of the flower of life. such a long title but yeah those two blue or purple books and the first one's more history ancient mm-hmm. history and the second one's more geometry and that's where i got stuck it's like uh <laughs> i don't know if i'm intelligent enough in this ability to understand um so that's where i, I kind of like lost a little bit i never really got into sacred geometry and now now you're teaching it you know like you're you're sharing it with the with the artistic community um with other visionary artists and as i said before sacred geometry is almost like one of those things that you think when you try to describe visionary arts like oh yeah it's art with sacred geometry It's almost like become part of it um do you ever feel like well i know that's not your personality so i shouldn't even ask that but like <laughs> do you ever feel like you know any fear that by sharing kind of like the skeleton of what you do, other artists will look like you and you might look less original in comparison if a lot of people start painting on the base or it doesn't matter if the skeleton is there, everybody's gonna have their own flavor and stuff. Oh, hi buddy. <laughs> Leo, Leo. hi buddy,
1: you're a wet boy. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> I sit down. You want to hang out here? <laughs> um, oh my goodness. <laughs> there you go. I'm such a cute. Um, you know, to be honest, I can't. I I will admit the thought has crossed my mind, and but it's it's sort of a passing thing. Where, and it started to happen when I started to watch a lot more sacred geometry, just sort of popping up all over in a lot of different art. And in the beginning when I was painting, and I, know, I remember no one actually knew what I was painting or what mm-hmm. the flower of life was, and it was like, what's this pattern? But, and then I started seeing it, you know, years later and like, tar, like uh, commercial uh, marketing of products and things. So I was seeing like this commercialization start to happen. I remember when sacred... Coldplay
0: came out with an album with the fine Yeah, like... <laughs> you know, so.
1: To me, it actually is An indication that That, like, remembrance And awareness of sacred geometry Is, like, coming back Online, uh-huh. you know, it's ancient Knowledge, this is yeah. something that has been A part of A tremendous amount of ancient history the way that temples were built mm-hmm. But in the past, you know, I, I Believe it was much more Esoteric It was hidden, it was hidden Knowledge, yeah. and it's not supposed to be hidden anymore. Right. You know? And so um, I think it's helping with the evolution of consciousness, essentially. Right.
0: It's kind of like a sighing of the times that we are waking up to our higher spiritual uh, nature.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, yeah, sure, it's permeating a little bit now into the mainstream. Hopefully it won't cheese it up or capture it and... In, in, uh, Make it all like superficial, Mm -hmm. but at at that point, you know, humans will be humans, and we can only do our own offerings coming from our own intentions, Mm -hmm. I guess.
1: Yeah, and I found, you know, in teaching sacred geometry, and I just had a workshop that I I finished a couple weeks ago with Vitra Academy. And it was sacred geometry for the intuitive artist. Okay. And um, really the intention of my class was to teach maybe artists like you or, I mean, any any form of artist to sort of dispel the myth that sacred geometry re- requires intense math, that it's something that, you know, um, that it's like almost to people that haven't worked with, with it a little bit, like kind of scary or intimidating. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to kind of just dispel that and and show that it is actually very intuitive when you start to create and work with the patterns and I wanted to even share that with you in terms of you're like oh I don't know like I, I have to stop there I can't look like mm-hmm. I don't know if my brain can handle this reading about sacred geometry is one thing and like processing the information that way but really the process of creating it is where um, the biggest amount of I believe understanding and unlocking right. of what the meaning of sacred geometry is, it's in that creative act. Mm-hmm. You learn so much through that. And so in sharing that and teaching students these basic patterns and um, principles of sacred geometry and then watching the way that my the students' artwork has evolved even since that class, it has quite honestly been one of the greatest gifts of my life I'm right. just like I don't know it's just amazing that's awesome it's, it's beautiful to see the way that it's being integrated and the students are exploring and finding their own their own voice with the patterns and um, yeah so it's been really cool to see artists you know take on and learn these learn these uh, patterns and then integrate it into their art and so yeah I, I've been drawing. And, tremendous amount of joy from that experience. Nice.
0: Nothing better than giving confidence to new artists.
1: It's so special. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Have you uh, been teaching workshops for a long time?
1: I've taught workshops off and on over the years. And I started out teaching in like the festival setting, teaching, um, you know, giving a talk on sacred geometry. I've, I've done a lot of those over the years. Um, and this last class I taught at COSM mm-hmm. in 2018 and I did a, a, workshop on sacred geometry there. And that was the first sort of theory, uh, paired with the practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was in person and that was really beautiful. And then this last class is the first time that I've ever taught this, uh, material online. Okay. And so that had its own whole learning curve, but also, um, you know, I'm, I've been finding ways to integrate, you know, the theory, like I was saying, and then and turning it into more of also an art class than just a class about sacred geometry. Right.
0: So, more practical. Yeah. And that was in Amanda Sage's school, yes, or is that Amanda, the Vision Train? The,
1: yes, it's Amanda Sage and Alicia uh, Alicia uh, Sacred Heart or Sikor, and um, they're the founders of Vitra Academy. It just launched, uh, I believe. Beginning of the first semester was in the beginning of March. Okay, and so this is the first full full-term semester of Vitra Academy. Nice, and um, it came out of the Vision Train, uh-huh. and you know this community of artists that has been gathering 24/7 for two years now, At least, in a yeah. Zoom room and making art together, and they're hosting workshops and. Um, so many different beautiful offerings that have been happening on the vision train uh-huh. so now that's evolving into a online art school which you know I believe has the potential to grow into also having physical locations in the future as well nice um,
0: you had a lot of students right
1: yeah Well, we had over I think it was 85 or 87 people registered for the class Wow. Um, and I had at least 50 people live on the zoom call and then people that will be um, catching the recording as well that's so crazy it was a big it was a big class i don't
0: i don't think at least i couldn't handle it in person to have 50 students plus but i guess online you could but does it become overwhelming when you got that many students that perhaps might have like questions or how's it
1: you know i found the number and even just like that many faces i was Honestly, very in- intimidated um, going into it, but it was manageable mm-hmm. and um, definitely in the online format. I feel like it it worked out great. Um, I didn't feel overwhelmed by the number of students once we got into things. I think more just the idea of it was what was intimidating for me. Mm-hmm. I think in person that would be a pretty large class um, to actually be able to move around the room and have one-on-one uh, talks with people, but. Um, but yeah, it worked out great, so.
0: That's awesome. But I guess because of its online nature, uh, I'm not saying it's impossible. You could have a class of 50-plus oh, students sure. in person, but there's the logistics of like getting to the place, sleeping over, and a lot of those uh, young artists might not have the full budget of, say, going all the way to Cosm or uh, the Vienna Academy to do one of those classes. So online, they could be all around the world, and it doesn't cost extra.
1: You know, yeah, that was what's so amazing, you know, I had students from all over the world in that class, and um, so it was really cool, you know, you don't have that same, like, one-on-one connection um, like us sitting here, and, and really that's where I thrive with people, I, you know, so sitting behind a screen and knowing that there's all these people all around the world, like, watching me on a screen or ha- having to engage with the content on a screen... And not seeing their process in the in real time Mm -hmm. um, was an interesting, you know. It's just different a different approach to teaching. It feels different teaching that way, Mm -hmm. but and it has its own level of like learning curves to presenting slideshows and then giving assignments and you know having different ways of checking in with the students, like a student forum and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, But it works, and it's really beautiful that we can, you know. Utilize the technologies that we have to connect, and you know, with artists all across the world, and be able to share these offerings and these classes, and just the creative community that's being built around it. So,
0: super cool. Yeah, yeah. The world's evolving, and good job uh, moving along with it. <laughs> so, somewhere where we see sacred geometry uh, more naturally is in the psychedelic experience. Uh, What's how experienced are you? What's your uh, what's your psychedelic uh, journey? If you care to share that,
1: um, I've had my share of experiences. Um, you know, I I believe that the psychedelic realm can open up a beautiful insight into yeah the intricacies and the patterns of nature and. And beyond, you know, the non-physical realms as well. And so I, um, I've, I've explored different plant medicines over the years as ways of opening up my consciousness and exploring the, you know, the inner tapestry of my soul and, and observing nature. Um, and so, yeah, it's definitely been a a part of my path, um, I don't do psychedelics often, but enough to, I've had an, enough experience to feel like I can travel those realms, um, what am I trying to say? Safely, Safely perhaps. Safely, yeah. I really believe in like doing things in a safe container. With,
0: with respect. And the,
1: yeah, the sacredness of those medicines. And so, good
0: intention. Exactly. You know, knowing that it's more than just uh to get your kicks and to see something trippy or see the next idea for a painting, but to find our inner healing. Yeah, it's
1: like work, you know? Uh-huh. It's like medicine for the soul and it could be a healing, healing journey and it's not always easy. And yeah, so I have a lot of reverence and respect for psychedelics in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, care for how they're uh, Honored cool. and respected. Yeah.
0: Right. Is there any particular plant medicine that resonates more with you?
1: Um, I think it depends on the. Probably depends on the moment. Mm-hmm. Um. I like mushrooms. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I feel like they're in small doses. Mm-hmm. I really like to just do a little microdose occasionally. Oh yeah.
0: Do you feel it when
1: it's a microdose? Sometimes I do, and sometimes I don't. Uh-huh. I've done microdoses where I was like, "Whoa, that's maybe a little bit more than that." <laughs> it doesn't feel like a microdose. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I'd say I feel probably mushrooms are like the most comfortable for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've had powerful experiences with ayahuasca as well, and, and that medicine has opened up some places inside of me that I haven't accessed with anything else, mm-hmm. honestly. Um, and I have a lot of, yeah, reverence for those right experiences. And But I've also had challenging experiences with them, with, oh, yeah. you know, the medicine and different energies that have come up. And so, you know, it's, that's a whole other, <laughs> that's a whole other story. But, you know, I think it opens us up to the, like, the vast tapestry of energy that's creation like beyond, that is creation beyond the physical senses and so i've learned a lot about just the nature of energy and and consciousness through those medicines yeah
0: mm-hmm. you've been to peru a couple of times to do mm-hmm. ceremonies mm-hmm. and how has those experiences been
1: very powerful um and challenging but I love Peru as I, like the overall experience um, was amazing and life-changing and um, I felt like there was a part of my spirit that I connect to in, in Peru and that um, that was like a lot of floods of memories and parts of myself like I felt coming back to me when I'm there it's almost hard for me to put that into words some past life uh, connection a lot of life past life stuff and um yeah I would say you know the just to put it all like in one story very simply and I'm gonna leave out a lot of the details but in one night I had an experience where I was and I actually was not under the medicine on that time, I decided to not participate in the ceremony because I was having I was having weird, intuitive feelings about not trusting the shaman, mm-hmm. and um, I had to listen to that, right. which I think is very important. Right, good. <laughs> Even when you're across the world and you think you're there to be doing this one thing, you know, my intuition was telling me something different, but, but I was visited and one night by a golden orb Mm -hmm. that came down from the sky right before the ceremony happened and then during the ceremony i saw some uncomfortable things happening i was kind of watching as a guardian of the space and i believe i saw what was a like a possession and like I, i saw a dark energy uh exit someone's body after a long night of the ceremony and prayers and smudging and you know so i do feel like i saw some form of session that happened
0: yeah that's so interesting that it happened not on the medicine but like sober even though you were still in the space of the medicine in the
1: the same
0: time frame
1: and to be clear i had drank the medicine several days prior to that Mm -hmm. But I and I was having I was having resistance even then, and so um, that's why I chose not to participate in that ceremony. Was that Mm -hmm. you know there was just things that came up even in that first ceremony, and I just wasn't feeling safe. Mm -hmm. Well, Um, it's good that you and then I had this this beautiful gift of seeing you know what I I kind of just describe it inside myself at least I saw like the lightest light and the darkest dark mm-hmm. within 12 hours of each other, both in like this, you know, beyond the veil, non-physical form. And that's always sat with me as it like, you know, just seeing a vaster potential of energy beyond just what we perceive in the, our physical senses.
0: Right. So. It's so interesting how such a potent medicine will Create such a dualistic extremes of expression, you know, such angelic, liberating peace and love, but also will show you how dark it could be in the contrast of three dimensionality. Yeah. yeah. Which is both yeah. beautiful and scary. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. good job doing your, your work, and I hope you continue to find good tribes and people to work with. Um, it's That's important. True um tell me a little bit more about the project dialing what the hell does dialing mean (laughs) who are these people what is this project all about when did it start
1: so dialing is our collaborative painting team um that i I talked about earlier it's me morgan mandala randall roberts and sweet Melissa, and we started painting together um well it kind of there's it evolved over the years. Morgan Randall and I were roommates um, over probably ten years ago now in Boulder, and so we were always just hanging out, painting together, um, and just really shared this like intimate like friendship and creative energy. Um, and then we were at Rootwire Festival. I believe it was the second Rootwire. Mm-hmm. Might have been the first one though. Okay. Um, sorry. A lot of different events. It doesn't really matter. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, we did a little like altar piece for a friend of ours. That was just me, Morgan, and Randall painting. And then um, a couple years passed, and in two thousand and fourteen, I had returned back to Electric Forest uh, full on renegade style. I had been to the original Electric Forest, which was Rothbury. Mm back in like 2010 or something like that um it might have been earlier than that but anyways I renegade painted I I ended up like getting my canvas into the forest and I found a really magical little place to set up in this really just special part of the forest where there's flowers and beautiful art installations and I just found a little like Nook. sweet nook and i was close to a nature's nest um another old friend and, yeah nature and um, dream weaver yeah and i i set up the space and anyways i don't want to talk too much about this because i want to talk more about our collaborative aspect of it but basically i had set up painting there and um, some people that were part of the install of that space and what's called reincarnation village had come over and thanked me for painting in the space, and I was kind of glad because I was afraid I was going to get kicked out. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> um, and they and they offered if I needed anything, and the conversations evolved from there. And I met another person on the production team, um, uh, Bill Pulvin, who goes by Dalla Bill, mm-hmm. and um, shared some ideas about integrating live painting into Electric Forest in a more because um, they actually weren't allowing live painting at the time. Mm-hmm. There was some weird thing that happened with the festival. And anyways, we just talked about building in the art as an install mm-hmm. and really creating, like, its own space. And it was also a solution to, like, having not having protection as a painter, mm-hmm. you know, when you're just wide out in the middle of a field or you just are, like,
0: Yeah, very vulnerable vulnerable
1: to the elements to other people you know i love connecting with people while i'm painting but if you have someone trying to talk to you every single minute of while you're working you don't actually get much done Mm -hmm. so anyways the space came to life they called me back and they said or called me you know maybe six months from then and said hey crystal we've been thinking about this um some ideas and we built this structure and it's this tree house. Mm-hmm. And it was a tree house in the forest. The whole bottom was opened up and they um, they said, hey, this is a, you know, a space that you can paint in, invite you know who you want to come. And so I called up Morgan and Randall and I was like, hey, do you guys want to come paint at Electric Forest with me? And that year there was a beautiful nature installation um, as part of our whole install with flowers and sacred objects, and it was just like the most magical little painting oasis. And that year we both painted on separate canvases. Morgan and Randall painted on one, and I painted on the next one, mm-hmm. or on beside them. And that went great, and we had an amazing time, and so the next year we are like, hey, let's do a big painting together. Mm-hmm. And that was incredible. And then-
0: we're, this, is and year? this
1: was what year? What was that?
0: What year's this?
1: Uh, so that was 2014. Was when I was there. 2015 was when we painted on individual canvases. Uh huh. 2016 was when we did our first. It was like eight feet by six feet tall, I believe. Mm-hmm. Was the size of that canvas a really big painting? Um, one of the biggest paintings I think I had ever, ever done. And mm. but it was just this mind blowing experience of bringing this large scale painting to life totally intuitively. Our styles just flowed together um, very naturally. And so, yeah, it just kept growing from there. And then we invited Sweet Melissa and we've been returning to, and she just kind of filled out a missing, I want to say a missing piece. She just fit right into Everything that we were doing in this beautiful way and um, and the four of us just found this like friendship and connection that was just unparalleled I don't I I am continuously amazed by the ability to like work together in such a intimate way without having to over process and analyze what we're doing and how like what we're supposed to paint and it was just all so organic and and it kind of opened up a whole new sort of approach to painting for me over the years because Mm -hmm. I was already doing kind of improvisational painting but yeah doing that with a group of artists was amazing and so yeah we've been going back to the forest every year and I've started building out our own installs at festivals and you know building it from the ground up building a stage bringing plants and flowers and sort of uh, building off that initial sort of vision that was that first year of Electric Forest um, and and it just keeps growing and so we've been painting together, the four of us, since 2000 and 2017 was the first painting then when Melissa the came and we've been there every year since then uh, the two years off with COVID but we've continued through um, the last couple of years to be doing like sort of a live painting from home you know we did a painting here right in this spot and recorded it for four days and that was our Mm -hmm. since we didn't have festivals that was our uh like live at home painting right and yeah it's been evolving and then you know the show that we just had was bringing together now all of these huge paintings the ones that we still have um into a gallery setting and um and it was really magical to see it you know, we also take the paintings home and work on them in the studio. And so the live painting is like the imprint of the vision of what we're working on. And, um, and then we'll refine it and we polish it. And that's where the name Dial In came from because mm-hmm. we've started painting together for so long. We're like, we need a name. And we thought about it for years. And our, jo- our sort of uh, inside joke was always like, hey guys, what time it is? Time to dial it in. Mm -hmm. And it was just about our, our creative process, you know, going from these really raw, like loose brush strokes and then letting the composition evolve and develop and then really starting to refine and polish and like make things look really juicy and
0: Mm -hmm.
1: shiny and, you know, and polished essentially. So, um, beautiful. It,
0: it, um, there's all these little you know crews happening in, in the visionary world uh, creating these um, collaboration pieces that are kind of kind of like chaotic but then creating an order from it but your guys's is or people's <laughs> is uh, mostly three women and one one guy, which is like the opposite of the rest of you know the scene. Um, how is the general dynamic being mostly girls or women and, and one guy? Do you ever step on each other's uh, toes? Is like uh, Randall the odd man out? Uh, <laughs> how is it like spending so much time together over the years doing this project?
1: It's been, it's been amazing. I mean, we, we all learn a lot from each other. I think we all work together very um, just easily and naturally. Of course, like any project, we have we've had to get through moments of things, but nothing, you know. We we all hold us just I don't know the, the best way to put it. Randall balances out the feminine energy, mm-hmm. but he's also like the biggest diva of us all. so, <laughs>
0: <laughs> You know, and, and Randall's uh, masculinity almost counts for free with his <laughs> <laughs> femininity.
1: <laughs> so no. yeah, you know it's. I think it, it it's really worked for us. We have this very flowy feminine energy to the paintings and the work. And then you know, we have the hard lines, and like the Randall will come in with like I was joking, he comes in with like a big spot of red that might be confronting at first, but could later be one of the most interesting, unexpected parts of the painting. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, we all have we all paint over the whole painting. no there's not like. This is Morgan's section, and this is Sweet Melissa. We have little elements of our art that we're, of course, bringing in individually, but we're all painting over the whole painting.
0: Mm-hmm. That's super and so nice. So we kind of
1: paint like each other too. Like I'll think, how would how would Morgan, you know, how would Morgan um, resolve this area, or mm-hmm. what would Melissa think over here? You know, we sort of have to almost think like. E- think like each other in a way like or say about each other's process
0: because
1: uh-huh. um, we can see the elements of what we individually bring in but we're all working as a whole to accomplish this collective vision
0: mm-hmm. well it looks super fun i almost wish i was as loose as you <laughs> to uh, you know all play with each other maybe one day i'll have more of a chance to do that so dialing almost seems like a like a new brand Uh, you know of course it's just your crew of friends but it also becomes a new brand of uh of all four of you where like say a festival or a gallery is like hey i want not just crystal or or randall or the rest i want Dowling. you know and that's great you know it's great that we all have our different brands how has it been for you on the side of making a career from art you know you love to make it you're connecting with your soul you like to express it but then you also have to be like a business person trying to find money from the world to pay for this whole lifestyle of creation how was that experience for you
1: Uh, it has I will be honest it has been challenging but it's also such a gift you know to be an artist and to be able to you know, I think being an artist can require a lot of sacrifices. So there's been times when you're like sacrificing the comfort of a paycheck that you know is showing up on a certain day every week or, you know, every month. Um, and you have to find creative solutions to making money. And so, you know, there's, there's rises and falls of that, you know. Sometimes it's easier and things are moving better. Sometimes it's more challenging. Um, but as a as a whole, I think you know it, it really requires, like, like you were saying, you have to be the you have to be the business person. You have to you're, you know I've been responsible for all elements of my business for all of my career, So doing it alone, I think, is is, is challenging for me. And sometimes it's hard to even figure out who how to how to delegate tasks or how you know mm-hmm. um, but I'm learning a lot through the process I think that um, you know you just have to keep showing up and doing the work and sharing it as authentically as you can and just trusting that you're supported along the way so. All
0: right um, would you say like the business side of things is something that goes with your personality or you just had to like you know learn and, and become this thing that perhaps wasn't you but in order to make the thing that is you the artist you've had to like you know try to you know adapt and grow
1: um, i wouldn't say it's what comes most naturally to me and so it's something i'm still I, i'm still learning um, but you know learning communication skills and managing several different social media accounts and the amount of communication that comes with that. Um, I'm, I feel like I'm just, yeah, continuing to do the best I can. I think that artists in general, like trying to do both, trying to be the artist and the business side of things is a, um, what's the word? Um, two full-time jobs. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot, you know. Yeah. And so you have to, you know, it's like figuring out the system for it and and that's always changing too because the world is changing. Right. So, and the kind of art that we create and what we do isn't fully recognized or understood in the world and so there's a lot of having to like bring awareness and even like garner people's respect in a way that we're not just bunch
0: of hippies yeah, doing drugs, just,
1: <laughs> you know. Off to the wind, just like you know, making random paintings and just I don't know, and that's okay too. Mm-hmm. But you know that that there is a professional path as an artist, and you know when you're when you're on it for five, 10 five, you know, still always learning right. how to be a professional artist, at least for me. So mm-hmm.
0: as the world evolves. And his urge to become more wise and spiritual in order to just survive as humanity um, and save ourselves from our own self destruction. Um, do you think visionary art will be more understood, honored, valued, and even highlighted in this new world that we hope to bring forth?
1: Absolutely. I really do. I think that the, the visionary art movement is some. it's filled with some of the greatest living artists of all time I mean I truly and and many that and you know several that have passed like Robert Benosa, and, um that there's a truly a sort of a, a, a lineage of these masterful painters that have been a part of the evolution of the visionary art movement and I think that when history looks back on this time and the art that's being created and the depth and meaning of the work, and also not just that, but how uh, sc- masterfully created so many of these paintings are, and how so many of these artists are in our community, I think it really absolutely will hold a, a very important place in art history in the future, and, mm-hmm. and and it's helping to sculpt the world that we live in.
0: Oh, it's beautiful. You, know, you look
1: at the clothing that people are wearing, and. I, I mean, I've just seen, even in the last 10 years, the way that sacred geometry has become a part of, you know, um, huge installational, you know, sculptures and, you know, structure buildings. And, um, and it's been that way for a long time. I just think that's that there's a resurgence of that coming back in the modern time. And so I think we'll continue to see the imprint of these the work that we're doing now as it ripples out into the grander mainstream Mm -hmm. public and culture and then the artifacts that we're leaving behind.
0: Yeah, beautiful. Well, I'm sure you are correct. I I agree with you and I hope that this humble podcast show is kind of like an archive recording these people and moments in time in that process of evolution of our art movement and just like art in general and the world Mm -hmm. as we figure ourselves out. So we're coming closer to the end of our show. Would you have some words of wisdom to the people watching this show? Maybe as young artists or just people in general?
1: I have a few a few different things. I think to get out of your own way in your create like with your creative process or whatever inspires you, I think that so many people stop themselves from expressing themselves out of the fear of it not being good enough or they don't know how to do it and, and this is and it's like a gap in actually like diving more deeply into their own unique expression and so I really just encourage people to, um, to let go of that inner critic to explore new ways of working and creating Um, and to find their own style and language and let that just sort of naturally evolve Um, and but to yeah stop with the self-criticism and all these other things that get in our way of actually like respecting our own uh, gifts that we have to share and stop us from sharing them Mm -hmm. you know the world needs us to show up with our open hearts and creative expression and The more that we do that and share that with each other and and with the world i think the more beautiful of a world that we're going to live in and um and then another, another huge piece is to find other people to create with you know build a community around you know help build the community around you or connect to the creative community that you're a part of and find people that you that you vibe with to make art with or make music or whatever the whatever the avenue that um people are interested in that it's so such a gift to share our creativity with others and you can learn so much through the power of collaboration mm-hmm. and i think that's also a very important um piece for like, a healthier future is if we can all learn to collaborate with each other better
0: right in general both in art and in the world yeah beautiful well, thank you so much for your very wise and beautiful words and expression and art.
1: Oh. Yo,
0: I love Yo, you. I love you
1: too, Chris. Always <laughs> oh, such a pleasure to see you and I'm so grateful
0: that we got to chat today. So. Yeah, hell yeah, it was a great conversation. <laughs> and also thank you guys for watching Chris Dyer's Creative Friends. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Please share it, like it, comment what you liked <laughs> about this conversation. Uh, subscribe, and yeah, thank you so much and I'll see you next episode. Blessings! Woo! Bye. <laughs> next episode, my guest will be
1: Chris Davidson. It's taken me a while to be able to get lost more because I think uh, I had more like like mental control over my reality and it was hard to let go. But as I've been able to cultivate more just letting go in life, then I'm kind of like, oh, I'm going to invest my energy into this drawing, get really attached to it, make a decision that jeopardizes all of it. And, and then break through and trust that something new is going to come through. Uh-huh. And some people do this from the beginning really well. Uh-huh. For me, it's, it, I've had to like really loosen up over time. Like very uptight at first. And, and geometry was like, I could keep control more. And I still channel something through, but like, it's nice letting go.
0: Right. Yeah. So please make sure to subscribe, like, comment, and share. Big thanks, and see you next episode. Peace.